Good afternoon. I wanted to say morning, but gosh, it's late. Uh, first, I wanted to start off by praying because I feel like the enemy was not happy about me preparing for this message or the topic. The topic is pride and humility, and nobody wants to talk about that, and it's not a feel-good message, so <laughs> if you could just pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, for opening our hearts, Lord. Don't let this be a time where we put walls up. We just ask that you'd remove all walls, soften our hearts, pierce our hearts with your word today. Speak through me. Let it be your words, not mine. Say what you want to say. I have a lot of words, but only let yours come out. And Lord, let us be changed and purified today. In Jesus' name, amen. Since you guys are all too familiar with David's testimony... <clears throat> <laughs> I thought I would just give you a few little bits of mine um, so we could level the playing field a little. Um, whenever I was, <laughs> it's always this crowd over here, just the giggle crowd over there. Um, whenever I was a child, I'm talking about as early as I can remember, six, seven, I had this deep urge to pray, and I had very deep convictions. I knew exactly what was right and wrong, and I stayed very far away from what was wrong and the wrong crowd and the wrong kids. Um, David, opposite. Opposite everything I say right now, David was. That's a charge. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is true. He admits. <laughs> the Lord does miraculous things. Um, <laughs> In all seriousness, though, when, um, when I was young, I, I, prayer was very much a part of my life. Every single night, I remember praying hours until I fell asleep. And the significant part about that is that I wasn't raised in a home where prayer was ever a thing um, when we were younger. And um, we didn't pray before meals. We didn't pray at all at all. There was never one time that we prayed in our home. Um, and when I was young, my parents did not go um, to church, but I had this deep connection and desire to go and be in the house of the Lord. Um, it's very unique, and it's taken me until I'm, what, 35 now? I'm starting to lose count to realize the significance and how special that was. Um, and it was just all part of the Lord calling me, but at the time, I just desired to be in the house of the Lord so much that I remember when we lived in Missouri, there was a bus that would pick us up, and I would always want to go to Sunday school, even though my parents wouldn't. And um, I loved it, and I was that kid in Sunday school that got all the tickets for doing everything right and <laughs> memorizing and doing all the things. I don't remember what church I went to, but I just know it was nothing like this. <laughs> so... <laughs> But I will say, as a disclaimer, my parents were awesome. I honor them. They did a great job loving me. We just weren't walking in the fullness of Christ whenever I was young. And they later, we became very involved in church and everything when I was about in middle school. So, but I'm talking about my childhood. And um, I remember, I forgot to say this, the first um, service because it's so rushed, but I remember as a child praying these heartfelt prayers from the depth of my heart, and I would cry, and I would pray for salvation um, for loved ones, and I would pray for big things, and I would also just talk to the Lord, and I would just tell him all my big problems, um, and I would just always just talk to him, and no one taught me how to pray. 
Nobody modeled prayer. Nobody showed me how to pray. So I just want to encourage you, um, if you're a parent and you feel like you've messed up, that you didn't. God's bigger than that, and that he moves on the hearts of children. And he moved on mine as an early child. Um, and so I just want to focus on the fact that my prayers were so childlike because I was a child, but also because they were so pure and they were so heartfelt. They were, they were humble, humble prayers, and the Lord answered those prayers. When I was little, I got to see the result of my prayers. Like, I remember one day praying very strongly for something, and the next day it happened. And so I remember my faith being built and me realizing this, this works as a very young child. And so James 5.16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But in the Passion Translation, I love how it says, For tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. And so I feel like a lot of times our prayers are just generic or kind of like a duty, something we do. But I want to focus on the humble prayer today and how genuine prayer is what moves the heart of the Lord. And that it's not at all something we do just to do or as a duty. It's always relationship-based. It's always connection, true connection. And that's what make it, makes it powerful. And actually, he hears our prayer. And in Matthew 18, 2 through 5, in the message, it says, I'm telling you once and for all that unless you return to square one and start over like children, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. Whoever becomes simple and elemental again, like this child, will rank high in God's kingdom. What's more, when you receive the childlike on my account, it's the same as receiving me. I love how the Lord's directing at us at children, and most of the time being in church, I hear, the, I hear people say, well, we need to be like children because they have big faith, and they, everybody wants a child to pray for you because they have innocent faith, and they just have bold faith, and there's no doubt because they just believe it'll happen. That's very true. But the, uh, the other cool thing about children that the Lord was showing me is that they have no control of their life. So their prayers are genuine because they're desperate and they're authentic because they are so dependent on their parents. They have no control. They depend on their parents for their food, their shelter, everything, if you think of it like that. And then if you put yourself in that situation now and, and think of the Heavenly Father like, like your parents, and if you're childlike, you're depending on the Lord for everything. You have no control. Like you want him to have the control. You know he has it. And so that's the cool thing is that we've got to just let go of control. The faith God looks for is humble, teachable, trusting like a child. And once again, children do not have control and they give it to the Lord. And that's what makes their prayer so genuine. The problem with growing up is we start thinking that we need to take control of our life and that we don't need God as desperately as we really do. Matthew 6, 6 uh, through 7 says, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. 
And this is another part of my testimony. Um, it was in, even though I was in church and I was very much in love with the Lord as a child, once I got into youth group, um, I moved to a church that was very spirit-filled like, cray-cray. <laughs> like, it was like a little, like it was, it was unbalanced and it was, you know, what is the word you always say? Charismatic, charismaniac. Yes, that's the word. Um, and it was new to me because I had been going to whatever church I had. It was, I think I had been going to Presbyterian or may, maybe sometimes Baptist, whatever church was close to my house. So I, I don't know. But I, it was just a very big difference when I started going to the youth group. But the thing is, um, everybody was very extroverted about their praise and everybody who was anybody on the leadership was very, very intense um, as far as their dance in worship and their speaking in tongues as loud as possible. And um, just everything you can imagine in a charismatic church happening all at one time. And just, and I was new to it all. And so it was intimidating to me, but also I was just very much about my relationship with the Lord being genuine. And when I worshiped, I would sometimes sit and pray and cry, asking for forgiveness or going to the altar. But then the majority of the church was dancing and hopping and flags. I love flags. I love flags. There's a place for flags. There's a place for everything. There's not a place for a tambourine. <laughs> Just kidding. There is there is a place for a tambourine. Yes, as long as it's on rhythm, and <laughs> I love tambourines and flags. You won't see me with one, but I love seeing other people do that. That's not my point. My point is not to try to say like all things charismatic or crazy. The point was it was how it was done, and it was all all happening, and. Um, I say all that to say the, the people that were in leadership also prayed very intense prayers that were very spiritual, and they had a million scriptures in their prayer, and they also rep kept reminding the Lord of his name because he kept forgetting, I guess, like every second. And so I just remember, like, like I, I don't, I can never even, like, Lord, please, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, Lord, 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 Father. He's probably like, yes, I'm here. Didn't leave. <laughs> but um, anyway, I just remember their prayers being so intense. And granted, I was in middle school and new to it all. And so what I did was just revert to not doing a lot of things and just keep it genuine because there was no, that was one extreme. And I'm very introverted. So for an introverted person, you go and it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't even know what to do. This is insane. Um, but I took that scripture also literally where in Matthew where it's saying don't pray out in public to be seen. And so I would literally not pray out loud because I was, one, afraid that my prayers weren't fancy enough because they weren't going to be. Like, the truth is, like, I'll never be like that. Like, I just, it's not in my DNA. So um, I thought, well, their prayers are like way different than mine, so I can't be that fancy or spiritual, and I don't know what it'll look like, and I had shame from just child, I get just shame, we all have shame to get, deal with, 
And also, I just was not familiar with it. And if it's not something that you're raised in and that you're not just used to praying out loud, it, it feels foreign. And I know there's people even today as adults who, if you ask, give them a mic and ask them to pray out loud, they'd be like, and so I just want to break that off of you before we move on to the next thing, because I, it wasn't until, I don't even know how many years, I'm 35 now, it wasn't even until the last few, three or four years ago, maybe, that I finally was like, I'll pray out loud. And that, that's an honest thing. I mean, I know you're like, wow, it took you that long. Yes, yes, it did. Because it was just, it felt so foreign, it felt so odd, and I kept making it out to be a bigger deal. I kept making it out to be that it needed to be so official, and it needed to sound as good and fancy as everybody else. But really, the Lord just wants a humble, genuine prayer. He wants a simple prayer. Help me, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Like, be with us. Like, simple prayers, and we just overcomplicate it. And we're, we're, we're trying to make it sound better. So the scripture is really not saying don't pray out loud. It's saying don't try to make it a performance. So I never prayed out loud. And I will just add, like, if you are a parent and you haven't made that your norm, please start. Like, save your children some time because um, it would just really be helpful to, like, just already feel good and comfortable about praying out loud and being able to pray out loud for others because, you know, the two or more are gathered. He's there. He moves. And um, it would just be awesome. So it doesn't need to be scary or weird. It can just be like when my, I mean, I'm so casual about it. Like we hear an ambulance and the kids are like, we need to pray. And I'm driving and I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that those people are going to get, you know, be healed and the ambulance is going to get there in time. All right, who wants Chick-fil-A or McDonald's or whatever? <laughs> like, it's not like we have to get all reverent and silent and, you know, we, we just need to simplify it, not make it so hard. So on the topic of humility, I want, so I'm going to be focusing on humility and prayer and just the genuineness of prayer and then pride. Um, and so I just, I just really want you to like really take a self-evaluation while I'm speaking um, and not just write this off. Um, because even when preparing for this message, I was like, pride. This is going to be a good message for somebody else. And then when you're like, that's the most prideful statement on the face of the earth. <laughs> and so if you're already like, this is a good message for that person, or I know someone in my family that needs this message, they're not humble. They have an answer for everything, blah, 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 blah. How about you just think about yourself today and like where you are on the spectrum of pride and humility. So in Luke 18, 9 through 14 in the message, I love verse 9 because it says, He told this next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. Complacently pleased with their performance. That can be such a normal thing with um, America and the church is that we go to church, we do our duty, we fast, we go on Sunday, and if you go on Wednesday, you're really pleased with yourself because you're like checking all the boxes, but it's a heart condition. So complacency, um, some synonyms for that is self-satisfaction, self-approval, and self-regard. So it's very much self-focused, and it's very much pride, but we're not going to get to that yet. 
So it says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this, O God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and tithe on my income. Don't write that off and say, well, I'm not prideful because I, I don't ever call people out like that. Pride hides, so. Meanwhile, the tax man, slumped in the, sh in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give me mercy. Forgive me. I am a sinner. Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, went home made right with God. If, you're, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if, you content, or if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. I love that because we're in this constant, that, that goes along with pride and the whole prayer in Matthew 6, the performance. Like, just be yourself. It's taken me so many years to finally just be okay with that. I am what I am. I'm as real as it gets. And um, we just have to be ourselves and stop trying to perform. There's that. So the Pharisees, the, if we want to just focus on the Pharisee, the, I love how the Lord's making the most drastic comparison possible. I mean, pride on the biggest level. I'm so glad it's, I'm not like that drug person or that druggie over there or whatever. I tried to ask David, like, what's a good comparison nowadays to the tax collector? And he was like, the IRS? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know that they're stealing our money. And he's like, pause. <laughs> and I was like, we're moving on. <laughs> he's like, I sure feel like it sometimes. <clears throat> but anyway, um, what was I saying? Okay, judgment, prideful spirit. And I, um, I just wanted to look at, I didn't put it, I'm just going to mention it. Matthew 15, 8 through 9, it says, These people honor me only with their words. Their hearts are distant from me. <clears throat> that represents the Pharisee. He's just constantly with his words, thinking, actually, he's thanking the Lord for how good he is. And he's thanking the Lord for all the things he did on his own. And he might as well hire the Lord as a personal assistant because he's just very self-focused. It's his works. And his heart is very, very far from the Lord. And then um, the, the saddest thing is, well, like I was telling you about my history and youth and stuff and how I wasn't ever as vocal with my words and everything. So I got wrote off. The, I, I'm saying this to say that judgment is often the worst in the church. I've only experienced being judged in the church, more so than in the world. So I was always in church, and because I went to a super spiritual church, and I didn't fit the mold, because I'm very true to myself, if you haven't noticed, and um, I didn't fit the mold, so I didn't get asked to be in youth leadership. I didn't get asked to do a lot of things, and I would be, they would assume I was doing something wrong, or I wasn't as spiritual, or they, the youth pastor who was a woman would pull me aside and ask me about things like digging, and I'm like, no, and truth be told, those issues were in her, and, she, and that's a whole other subject, but the, the thing is, like, in the Christian world, we can easily just judge people by how they worship and how they look, and, it, and it's awful, so we've got to let that go. That's just full-out pride. So this is an interesting thing that I found out about pride, um, and it's not an obvious thing because when somebody is depressed, 
or they have a lot of self-pity and they are sad, we never ever assume this, but oftentimes it's pride. And so the, the heart of pride is focused on self. Prideful people believe they deserve better than what life has brought them. They become sorrowful, resentful, and even jealous of other people who, and their successes. Pride breeds self-pity, which is a major component in depression. Typically, people who struggle with pride will live life based on how they feel and expect everyone else to accommodate the mood they're in. That's really hard, but it's so true. And I have been the person who wakes up with the bad mood because it's about me that day and because I'm not happy with how whatever's happening in life, and so I'm going to make it a bad day for everybody. Anybody? No, just me. No, okay. And really, it's pride. It's self-centeredness. It's about me. I'm not waking up praising Jesus for my every, everything, I'm anything, my breath, my house, my husband, my kids. How can I serve? How can I love others? No, I'm waking up thinking, what do I need first? Coffee? Then I need this. And if I don't get these things, then I'm cranky and everybody's going to pay for it. No? Nobody? David, dramatic. <laughs> Some other obvious things about pride is the people that know everything. They have an answer for everything. Um, you know, everybody's like, mm. Once again, remember, we're evaluating ourselves. <laughs> They're thinking of that person. <clears throat> the person that knows everything and then the person that can't forgive. Um, that harbors unforgiveness, and that's a big pride thing. So a few other things about pride. Nothing makes our soul sicker than too much time given to itself. We can't stay in our thoughts and our feelings all day. We must stay in prayer, thinking of whatever is good. Whenever you're full of pride, you don't really need God because you're not aware of how much you need him, and you think you're in control of everything. Um, you're often discontent because you feel like you deserve better. Oftentimes, you're comparing yourself to somebody else, and you're thinking, I could do that even better. Why are they in that position? They are full of expectations of their life and why it hasn't been this way, why what, they think the Lord owes them something. They're often busy with works-based religious duties because it makes them feel better, and it makes them look more spiritual. They lead their lives and... and they lead their lives, and God is there at their convenience when they get really desperate. And the last thing is pride always comes before a fall. In James 4, 6, Passion Translation, it says, God resists you when you're proud, but continues, continually pours out grace when you are humble. And that's the thing. We all need grace every second of every day. Grace isn't just favor, although who doesn't want favor? I need favor. We all need favor in life. Life is hard. But also, grace is empowerment. He gives us power for hard seasons, for good seasons, for choices. He gives us his power. We need that. We are blocking ourselves off from any grace and help from the Lord when we're prideful. And the other thing, and I have actually always grown up hearing how God's in control and it, it's really nice to just say that because it makes you feel like you don't need to do anything and his will will be and you can just kind of coast through life. But ultimately, God is not in control. God's not in control unless you let him be in control. 
So think about that. God is not in control. If God was in control, there would not be sex trafficking. There would not be murder. There would not be a lot of things. And a lot of people don't like this statement. And I'm sorry, but I'm still going to keep saying it. Because if you don't let him be in control, he can't. We have free will. He gave us free will. And so we take our lives and we want to actually figure it out ourselves. So how many of you... You're in this big problem or situation, and the first thing you do is like, okay, I've got to sit down and figure this out. That's me. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I like to take a lot of long drives, and um, we're, this last month has been the most, one of the most trying months ever for me, and it, it's been more like day by day waiting on an answer for something that we want, and it's been like, oh, well, we didn't hear anything today. And so I remember driving around, and I thought, I said to the Lord, gosh, I can't rest until I get an answer on this. I can't rest. And I'm racking my brain, like, what could we do? And then the Lord's like, yeah, you can rest. That's called you showing me you actually believe me. That's faith. Faith 101, resting when you don't see the answer. Here I am preaching it, saying it all the time. We all know it. But then when life really happens and you're outside of these doors, you're like, I've got to figure this out because I've got to take control. But we don't have control. We have to depend on the Lord to let him lead. He wants to co-work with us. He wants to do life with us, which is what prayer is. It's constant conversation. I found myself just mumbling all the time like a crazy person because I am talking to the Lord and I'm like replacing that instead of worry. So I'm like if the thought like the what if thought that tortures you, you know, no, everybody's like, no, I never had that. The what if thought, like, what if this happens? And that, that, that sinking feeling like something bad's going to happen. When that comes, it's like, Lord. And then I just start praying, like, thank you that you have good things, that I love you, that you, you are chasing after me with your goodness, that, you know, anything you need to say. Or, Lord, show me how to handle this. Like, show me how to handle this person. <laughs> like, whoever it is that's like, you know. Um, really trying you. It's like, Lord, help me. Just help me. Show me. Let's do this together. He wants us to do life with him. That's the point of prayer. Doing life with him, constant conversation, dependency. Dependency. And um, the Pharisee also, he represents the prideful spirit in the, in the parable, but he also represents the, pers- the pretending, the person that follows the laws, traditions, religious, and just not a true connection with the Lord. Prayer isn't about getting God to do what you want him to do or to change his mind. Prayer is about accessing what he already wants to do. I'll say that again. Prayer isn't about getting God to do what you want or to change his mind. Prayer is about accessing what he already wants to do. I do believe that he wants to be in control and he has an ideal plan for our lives. He has a will for our lives and it's full of good things, the Bible says. But if we don't tap into that and access it, and if we don't actually let him do that in our life by praying and communing and actually having a true relationship, not a religion, then we don't access that will. That's a hard thing to say. You actually can miss the mark. Can he recorrect? Can he redirect? Yes. Yes, 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 David said. (laughs) So 
In Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it says, Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. He makes it so simple. Like all he's saying is pour out your worries and leave them here to me. They're not yours to carry. That's all he's saying, and we overcomplicate it. Why? Because of pride, which is control. Us trying to take on the worries and figure out the world on our own. When he's like, I'm here to do life with you. I have the answers. Everything will overflow if you just depend on me. So moving on from pride, because that's no fun to talk about. We None of us have that issue. We're going to move on <laughs> to humility. <clears throat> Humility um, is the place of entire dependency on, on God. It is saying, I relinquish my control, and I depend on your control for every big decision, every decision in life. True humility is confident in God in us and his ability to use us. So there's false humility, which is a whole other subject, which is like, for example, I'll just say one nugget about it. Like if, if you were to say to me, you did a really good job, like you did so awesome on your word, I'd be like, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. Like I take no credit. It's not saying you can't be good at something or you can't do a good job or you can't be confident, but you're confident in who the Lord is in you and the way he's created you to be, if that makes any sense to you. So Ephesians 3:12 in the Passion says, "We have boldness through through him and free access as kings before the Father because of our complete confidence in Christ's faithfulness." So humility isn't weak me like we we think of humility as someone very humble who doesn't have a lot or never talks, who's you know, whatever you have in your mind about that it is very much opposite. They're very, very bold and confident because they know the authority they have in Christ. They don't think too highly of themselves and they don't t- think too lowly of themselves. Why? Because they're not thinking of themselves. We're nothing in ourselves. We are everything in Christ. I can't do it without him. That's mentality. They are grateful that God operates in them, and they don't need to flaunt anything to be validated. Humble mentality says to the Lord, let's do this together. So looking back at the tax collector, because he represents the really strong, um, humble spirit, is it's the, the man's coming filled with guilt of his sin and ashamed and heartbroken. He can't even look up. The Lord wants us to come broken and humble and honest. We have to get really true and honest about our sin. And we have to ask him. The tax collector asked the Lord for mercy. If you don't think you need mercy, you have pride. You are full of pride. So we need his mercy. We need his grace. If you don't think you need grace, you don't need his empowerment, you got it all handled, you are full of pride. So today, we're going to be getting rid of all of that. But the Lord wants us to come broken and run to him when, we're, when we fall short and not run away from him. He's always waiting with mercy. He never gets tired of you coming back to him. He's always waiting. 
I remember whenever I was in my phase, <laughs> and it's funny because the Bible girl calls the phase dating losers. That was my phase, dating losers. There was nothing about drugs or prison or um, what else, David? I can't even, Grateful Dead, tie-dyes, what, what else? I can't, it's so much, and I learn something new like every week. I'm like, you did what? It's just, I don't even know. I don't even try to understand it. Um, but after, <laughs> after being in, you know, being in church as a child and then going in youth and, and all of that experience and then Bible college even, it was the same thing, just this religiousness, this whole it needed to look a certain way. And because I was always true to myself and very real, very much in love with the Lord, it just didn't look the way that a charismatic person thinks it needs to look. So I was never exalted. I was never, but I was never wanting that. That's the other thing. I served faithfully as a children's director in the back for seven years and never, ever desired to be here. Side note. But the reason I went through the phase, meaning I um, compromised I don't know if anybody needed a phase in your life, if you were raised in church and you were always doing the right thing, and then all of a sudden you were like, what do I even really believe? I know everyone says this, and but I haven't really seen it, and I've only seen people judge me for not being Christian enough or look a certain way. I'm not getting anywhere in this life, in this Christian life, so I'm just going to quit. The people in the world were all about loving me, especially if we're drinking. I mean, it's like, great, right? Anybody? Nobody's drink here? No. Um, you're drinking, and the world's great, and you're, they're your best friends. You have the comfort in that. And so that was my compromise. It's probably drinking too much and dating really not qualified men. So, but, you know, we all have our phases. My reason for going that phase is just, I was just done. I was done with the judgment. And so I'm sure some of you can relate. But in that time that I was distant from the Lord, I always really deep down knew. It's not like I lost my salvation. I always knew he was there. Even in the bar, I felt his presence. Anybody feel his presence in a bar? I did all the time. I would see somebody really sad. I'd see somebody really depressed, and I'd be like, I know what could help them. And I was in no place to help, but I knew what needed to be done. Anybody can relate. But... My point in saying all that is that you can't run from him. If you're here today and you're full of shame and you're like, I don't want to go to church because I don't want people to see through me because they might see that I watched porn the other day. They might see that I did whatever people do, like David's always talking about doobies and drugs or whatever. His, that's always his, his um, example is a drug. <clears throat> but for the other half of you, if it was something else besides porn and drugs. Uh, what are the other things? Like, you know, all the other sins in life. Come on, Lauren. For us others, I don't know. You get, you, anger, yes, anger, resentment. <laughs> Unforgiveness, all those other things that people do. 
and out drinking too much, whatever it is, numbing out. Hey, that's the big one. You might not be doing something so wrong as drugs or having an affair or all of the things that we vote as big, but you might just be complacent. You might just be checked out. You might just be Netflix's best friend. You might just be shopping too much. You might just be caring all about yourself. When's your next hair appointment? When's your nails? When's your lashes? When's your... What, what else is there? Shopping, gym. I mean, you should take care of yourself. But anyway, it just becomes all about you. Whatever it is you fill the void with, whatever it is that you're not depending on the Lord, whatever the sin is, it's all the same. And so if, you're, if you came here and you're like, I don't want to be found out, I'm hiding, you've got to come to him. That's what the tax collector did. That is a humble prayer. That's a humble response. The humble lifestyle I'm talking about is just that constant vulnerability with the Lord. Like, Lord, search my heart. Forgive me. If you don't think you need forgiveness almost every day, my gosh, like, you have pride. Man, how many times? Like, if you came here and you're hearing this and you still don't think you have pride, please, I beg you to come up to the altar after this and let the Lord search your heart. Because when I was preparing this, I had to have a come to Jesus time with the Lord because I realized I had pride in so many ways. Especially if you're, you might understand this, if you have been in church leadership, but you start to categorize and you start to write people off because you see so many scenarios. But the Lord never wrote people off. And we cannot be the same way as what I was telling you in the youth group, like stereotyping and thinking it needs to look a certain way because we're a spiritual church. This church is real. It's not about it being spiritual. It's about us being real. I'm as real as it gets. I didn't speak for years because I thought it had to look like the pastor's wives that I had grown up seeing. And I didn't want that. I knew I didn't want that. And I love those people, but it was very much a performance. And it was very much a very prim, proper, this is what we do. This is the expectation. And I want nothing of that. So then you finally realize it's not about you. Just be who you are. Let the Lord use you the way you are and the way he chooses to use you. And that's what I finally came to in my life. Um, so if today, am I allowed to move on? Yes. I'm ending early. Uh, Melody's like, praise the Lord. <laughs> Children's director, if you didn't know. <laughs> but if you're here today and you felt any conviction, oh, and I pray you did because I did too. If you felt any conviction that maybe you're holding on to unforgiveness, you have an answer for everything, you have shame. This is also for the people who just walk in shame. See, the tax collector he was broken, but he was also full of shame. And what he needed after that is he needed the Lord. The Lord justified him and, and restored him, but he came in sh full of shame. So come in full of shame. Come in today full of your shame so that the Lord can forgive you and heal you and restore you. So if any of the things I've talked about, if you feel like you need more humility and you just want to make this simple prayer of like, Lord, make me humble, please don't be scared to say that because you know what? When you're humble, he pours on grace. He exalts the humble. So if you wonder why you aren't getting anywhere in life, it's because some pride needs to be stripped off of your heart.
And so if I've said anything that would convict you or you feel like you need to just come get justified, like the tax collector, if you just need to come get justified and get right with the Lord, today is your day. And so I just ask that you'd stand up and the prayer partners are going to come.